Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University's, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Podfather Media, Tom Dioro. For our guest today, let's welcome Jim Kellett. Jim and Nancy founded Lahaina Galleries in 1976. The best local and international artists are featured in their galleries, which are, are uh, world-renowned. The customers and clients and patrons marvel at the variety and skill of the artists on exhibit. Feel free to find them on the web at LahainaGalleries.com. Again, that's LahainaGalleries.com. Hello, Jim. Really, really honored and excited to have you on the Innovators Radio Show and Podcast today. Thank you very, very much. Aloha from Maui. I'm uh, happy to be here and happy to be on your show. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Jim, what is, um, do you have a, a, a quote or a prayer or a mantra that, that uh, resonates with you in your personal and professional life? You know, uh, you didn't give me that question in advance, in advance you know. So. <laughs> it was a trick one. I've got, you know, it all. Tri- Things can change in your life. You know, you have something you go by for a while and then maybe you have to change some and all of that. But, and I can sometimes say, you know, I, I like to idealism and I'd strive for that. But when sometimes idealism goes out the window when reality bites. And I've been bitten a few times along the way, but my gosh, it's been great living here for over 40 years and uh, having this wonderful business. The, when you when you're in the art business, for the most part, you're dealing with really good people. And right now, I've got great people working for me. And uh, an early goal was really simply to, to do as well as I could and to bring as many people along with me in that success. I not I don't like poor people working for me. There have been times when that's been the case. I really like to measure myself by how well others do with working for the organization. And it's been quite gratifying to be in this particular field, which I had no background for. Yeah. Yeah. Share with that that you were somewhat, if I were quoting correctly, a reluctant or just an unexpected art gallery founder. Yeah, it's a story I've told many times and I, people seem to like it. So please, I, I grew, my wife and I grew up in small towns in Arkansas. And I went to, um, you know, in middle class 
or maybe lower middle class families, I guess you say, in a working class family also. And I did go to college to a couple of junior colleges, one in Coffeyville, Kansas, and one in St. Petersburg, Florida. And then I wound up in a small college called Arkansas A&M in southern Arkansas, where I met my wife, and we got married right out of college. And I grew up in a bigoted world of segregation and that kind of thing. Uh, I started, she and I graduated, and you know, it was, it was a time when uh, Patsy Mink, who is our, was our legislator years ago, started uh, Title IX, where it pushed women's sports. And my wife is a PE teacher, had a degree in physical education. So she got me just about every job. The first three jobs I had, <laughs> they had to take me to get her. So we taught school in Florida a year. We taught school in New Mexico for, for a year. I was a football coach, some basketball, baseball. I did play football and baseball in, in small college. You know, I was not a a top recruit. Anyway, um, so then the third year, we, we liked traveling. So we applied and again, got the job because of my wife. And we taught school in Okinawa on military wow. base. So from that, I, I had told my draft board, if they'd leave me alone for three years, I would sign up. And that was during the Vietnam War. And I did not go to Vietnam, thankfully. And I respect the soldiers that went. I don't respect our legislators that sent us there. But anyway, I'm, I'm glad I didn't go and I'm still still alive and, and um, appreciate what others did. But living in Okinawa, I started saying, OK, I'll join the military. Uh, and as soon as we get out of Okinawa uh, of teaching one year, I'll join. So I joined the Marine Corps for four years. I was um, in the backseat of an F-4 and uh, radar operator. Mm. You kind of sit back there trying not to throw up and you can't see anything in front of you. It's just the size of an iPad radar screen right there, you know, so it sounds exciting, but I, I don't know. I, I did that. And when four years in the Marine Corps, I got out and then decided that I'd go back to teaching. And since we taught with the overseas dependent schools in Okinawa, I asked to go somewhere else. And I went to Germany for four years. So I taught school. Uh, my wife and I both did. We had two kids while we were in the Marine Corps, while I was in the Marine Corps. And so I'm there and uh, enjoying Germany and all of that, but thinking I can live anywhere in the world that I want to if I just get the nerve to quit my job. I really don't have, you know, I was sort of all mapped out. I had master's degree and it was pretty high on the pay scale for how many years I've had in and all of it. All of that. And I just started thinking, you just don't have the nerve to quit your job. You can live anywhere you want to. And, and it's not Germany. One year they had the most rain in 100 years. So anyway, but we, we loved traveling around and seeing the museums and all of that. And that, you know, gave us some art background right, right there. So I just looked at books and pictures and decided that I didn't want to go to a big city in Hawaii. I decided I want to go to Hawaii, but I didn't. And I'd only been there for about two days. We stopped over going to Japan when I was in the Marine Corps and, and had a little taste of Honolulu. And I'd lived in Frankfurt for two years, Frankfurt, Germany, and uh, decided I didn't want to live in a big city. So I read books and I picked out Maui. So we decided we were going to move to Maui. I would have to figure out what we we're going to do there. And now I want to bring out one of my 
my uh, bad things about myself, maybe. Sure. I was so tight. I was so tight with my money. I just didn't spend it, but the, I just saved all the time, and it actually paid off eventually. But I saw my father-in-law, who was a pipeliner, who would spend ten dollars when he had five oh. in, on impulse, and, and he lived for right now. He wasn't living for the future, and I realized I was simply living for the future. Then I started thinking, well, what if I die when I'm sixty-five? I'm, I'm living for retirement and planning my life out and all of this stuff. So I got the nerve to to quit my job by shaming myself, I guess. <laughs> Took all my money out of retirement and every, just took every, got it, sold everything. And I came to Maui sight unseen. That, that, again, I'd been to Honolulu, but that, I came to Maui. Mm-hmm. And uh, I looked, decided I, maybe I could buy a business with my savings and or whatever. So I walked into, went to a real estate office in Wailuku. And Wailuku is not the tourist part of the place. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the local and uh the, the realtor was out to lunch so i tell people if that guy had not been out to lunch i'd probably have a gas station or something in Wailuku <laughs> now but I, I so i got in my car and drove and i drove to lahaina i parked lahaina luna road and walked down and i saw the ocean with the islands in the background a beautiful setting sailboats an old whaling town with charm you couldn't believe and wow this got me going and i walked into a real estate office and they had a couple of businesses for sale and one was an art gallery and it was more like a gift shop schlock art and one was an ice cream parlor and the one thing i you know i i vowed to change the way i was i I was going to live live for right now and do what i want to do and that kind of thing and one thing i'm ashamed of is i laid up half the night worrying about whether or not to buy the Ice cream parlor or the uh, art gallery. Wow. So the shame is that I walked in the real estate office and wanted that it's less risk. I'm going to buy the ice cream parlor, call a guy up. They called him up and he said, well, I didn't tell my wife that I was going to sell until last night. And she said I couldn't sell it. So I bought the art gallery. <laughs> no wow. background for art. Never bought a painting in my life. Never been in business in my life. All I've done is teach physical education coach and be in the Marine Corps. So anyway, the deal was the guy who sold sold to me, I needed to stay there and teach me the business. And that was pretty useless. And he wound up opening up a gallery or or partnering with another, with a poor lady that uh, lost her money and partnering with him, um, you know, going out and opening an art gallery, the same artist I had and everything. So that was my rude awakening to the business world, which, Eventually, I found out I didn't need to sell sock art. I could sell really good things. People would pay for it, and I'd have a whole lot better life. And so we progressed from there and, and had some fortunate things to happen along the way. There's no question. Yeah. So it was not a business plan that it was all mapped out. It was a guy that fell off the turnip truck and wound up uh, in Maui at the right time, the right place, and all of that. So, yeah, that's me. Well, that, that's You know what's fascinating about many parts of what your story is, is you decided to overcome and unlearn a behavior. As you said, you were really tight and you, yeah. you, you decided you, you can't live like that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so there, that in itself seemed like, not seemed like opened up your whole life. 
Yeah, and I remember Ernest Borgnine, I think it was, said to always live beyond your means. That way you'll accomplish more. I didn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm still pretty frugal, but, uh, you know, we did roll the dice, basically, is what it was. And, of course, everybody thought we were crazy. And when I told my fellow teachers I was quitting, I went through the same questions with every one of them or they say you don't have any kids yeah you're not married you don't have you're not very high on the pay scale now anyway everything everything went like that and they couldn't understand why i was doing it so they just didn't know what to, didn't know what to think of it. and of course my relatives in arkansas thought i was crazy so but it, maybe i was but it worked <laughs> <laughs> yeah crazy like a fox as, as, as you've heard it before but there must have been and we're going to go for a a station id here in a in a moment let me look in a wait hey. this is the modern architect kzsu stanford 90.1 fm we're talking today with jim killett founder of lahaina galleries uh, jim as we're saying getting that courage we talked before your show uh, you played football and you've coached football do you think that enabled you or helped you to have that level of courage, even in spite of people saying, well, I think you're crazy? I would imagine that it did have something to do with it. And you can learn a lot from team sports. And, and, and actually, I listened the other day about somebody telling you, if you want to be a good salesman, it's, it's a good thing if you're competitive. And giving you the drive to do things and, and understanding the teamwork and all is very important. But, you know, I also play, I, and I learned from coaches and I played from, for a, a sadistic culture too, that wasn't really good for me, you know, and sometimes you learn things from your coaches that maybe later on you figure out, well, that's maybe not the best way to do it. And, and I, I, I still have some feelings sometimes of when I, I, you know, may have been too hard on kids and all of that. And sure, you need to be hard on them to push them farther and all of that, but there's a, there's a limit and there's a, you know, I, I uh, was conscious of that later in life even so but yeah i, I think sports are, are great for the camaraderie and i the great friends i made over the years and, and whether they were guys i played against or played with you know we're still friends a lot of them yeah at my age <laughs> the artist when, when you went from stock art to original art what made that shift for you you, you know the um yeah stock we had a couple of artists in there that were that were good that were left left over, and I just uh, developed a, a taste and a feel for better better art being around it, I guess, and visiting other galleries and what have you. And I mean, we were selling puka shell necklaces and, and postcards for three dollars that were matted. I mean, so we just uh, evolved, and there were a few artists that you know that we started getting bigger tickets on and raising their prices a little, little bit, but we eventually we brought in really world-class artists and we, it's funny, another funny story. I mean, I started in this small little space. Well, not, not that small, but it was, it was a space and next door to me it used to be a gallery and uh, some Hare Krishnas came in and I'm not here to badmouth them, but in this particular case, the Hare Krishnas uh, couple, uh, had a couple of kids, and they they lived in the back back of the store. I mean, this is the old days of Lahaina. It was really funky. So they lived in the back, and the the, hus the young husband would uh, 
walk out every morning and go surfing and leave the wife and the two kids there with with a, <laughs> with a trinket shop and, and Hare Krishna things to sell sell there. And before that, it was a pawn shop, which was really a front for a uh, not so good of uh, business that was uh, illegal. And so that was two straight, really bad neighbors. And my expansion started partly to get rid of my neighbors. <laughs> so I took the store next door to me, knocked a hole in the wall, and uh, you know, made one bigger gallery. To, uh, so that, that's the way I started to grow. And then Kapalua Bay Hotel was being built about 1979. And I got a chance to do a show out there at the hotel when they first opened. And we did really, really well. And so they offered me the opportunity to open a gallery in the new shops that we were making. And, and we used to get, you know, I mean, Rock Hudson came through there and Johnny Carson used to come there. Carol Burnett wound up living living out there. And it was that kind of an atmosphere there. So we did really well out there for many years and until the shops were torn down. We were there probably 25 years. Hey, we were in San Francisco also for about 10 years and in a, a corner of Beach and Hyde there near the Buena Vista. Yeah. What, what determines when you set your galleries and where you set them? Is it is, is there a, a process that you mentally go through or is it a feel, a gut instinct? Yeah. Well, it's also the rent. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I usually my wife and I and, and other people will get together and talk about it and, and decide whether or not we have the means to do it at this particular time, whether or not we should do it or why we should do it. And, and personnel, I mean, I've got really good people working for me. And, and if you're in the art business, I'd say you really get good people to work with too. I mean, the art crowd's the best. And so all of those, if you can't come up with good salespeople, uh, art consultants, then you're going to have a tough time. Uh, it really is an emotional sale. It really is, uh, you need a person of knowledge and character. That's a key ingredient. So sometimes it's, you, you got to have that. And there was a time when we advertised in magazines a lot that worked really, really well, but not true now. So things change too. You know? How do you determine that, that marketability in addition to the emotion and then connecting them? Yeah. Well, an example of, what can sell that doesn't necessarily have the best art, maybe. I mean, if you have subject matter that appeals to where you're located and then you get accused mm. of being a tourist gallery, but let's face it, whales and turtles, if you, any, most any store that has them are going to be able to sell whales and tur turtles in some form. And when you talk about determining something, it, in the early beginning, this is a pretty good story. I, Robert Lynn Nelson wound up being a huge name in art, and he's doing really well for us right now, really well. Robert's brother came into my gallery when I was nobody on a side street and said he had a brother who was a really good painter, and all he does is sit there and paint all day. And I said, oh, sure, yeah, well, bring him in. Well, he brought him in and had a couple of paintings alike, so we decided to start working with him. Well, people come to Lahaina to whale watch, and whalers came to Lahaina in the 1800s they didn't come to hunt whales they came on their vacation their liberty time and all of that there was no place to process the whales if they killed them so they didn't kill whales here i didn't know that yeah. most of the people come here now don't know it, probably but but anyway it was a whaling town and we're talking about a couple of hundred 
whaling boats coming in, you know, and, and partying. So it was a wild, wild town. So I told Nelson that maybe he ought to paint some whaling scenes, thinking that they killed that whale here. <laughs> so he was smart enough to go back and do research, and he painted whaling scenes, but they were New England whaling scenes. So they were good, and we put them up and we sold them, but it wasn't immediate. And one day he walked in and just brought in a painting that, I mean, honestly, it was, it was just a whale underwater, and it wasn't very good and at that point. We sold it right away. He brought in another one. We sold it right away. So it got to going where, you know, at one point we were, we did, I think, $4 million worth of Nelson art, and almost all of it was underwater in one year. And people were buying it like crazy, particularly when he came up with the concept of a painting with above the water and below the water with the whales underneath and what have you. It just, it just skyrocketed. I mean, everybody was buying it like crazy and we were raising prices and it didn't stop anything. <laughs> and anyway, so that was a huge part of our success started by my ignorance, if you will. And, uh, <laughs> forgive Nelson credit for doing the research and doing the work and, and all of that. And then other artists copied him there. Some of them may have more exposure than he does now. How much is instinct and then your own experience? And then some, some even just where you kind of back into things. You just have to pay more. I think, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I'll chip in. Uh, <laughs> what do you, can you attribute to your own business process, your own acumen and then instinct as well as just kind of fall into backing into a decision that propels you forward? Have you ever quantified the, the percentages, if you can even do so? Now, I, you know, as far as selecting the art that we take in, early on, I started reading about starving artists, and I started thinking if I took in starving artists, now this is when I got no background for art at all, I said, well, if I work with starving artists, I'm going to starve too, so I need to... <laughs> To help me along in the beginning, I need to get some good artists that sell and I will hang on to their coattails. Then along the way, you have artists approach you and they want to be in your gallery and you have to decide whether or not their art is worthy, whether or not it's market marketable, and whether or not there's somebody you want to work with. And of course, the ideal is that the, that the artist himself is really good with, with people as well as being a really good painter, skill-wise, and marketable. I mean, it, 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 uh, I've had uh, artists in the past who were very good, very successful, and, and, and then they started hanging out with guys that were very, what I would call, academics or mm -hmm. artsy, and, and that's a market for that, too, and that's fine, but that's the kind of setting they wanted, and then they found out that those artists were driving taxi cabs at mm. part-time, you know, most of the time. And, you, you know, I, I can't look at somebody who may be extremely academically talented mm -hmm. and uh, impressive, but if people don't want to live with the art, then I, I can't make a living and my salespeople will starve. So <laughs> I like that's, that. yeah, part of it. Yeah. There's a wonderful thing you said there, living with the art. Can you describe a little bit what that yeah. means to live with the art? Well, I think I mentioned, I mean, art, art's an emotional buy, and we want people to buy because they love it, and that's what's important to us. And you don't, we don't push investment. We have in the past when things were crazy, 
but we push, you know, if it's a good quality work and enhances your life, it's a wonderful thing to have. And I don't have the patience of the people that want to come in and they just want to match, exaggerate, match their wash rags, you know, make things uh, uh, work uh, when, uh, you know, we want them to love, love the art. And if it matches their wash rags and they love it, then that's, that's okay. But, <laughs> that's just the idealism there, you know. But, but that's what we really want is it's a love affair that we're selling with people. And so you're going to live with It's quite an accomplishment when you think an artist has done something that people want to live with the rest of their lives and enjoy. So, yeah. That marketability, there's a great quote, and I have it almost verbatim, I recall it most verbatim, is uh, the marketing challenge of selling a frosty root beer and a Degas painting are remarkably similar. Is there some truth to that? <laughs> well, I'd have to uh, ruminate on that a bit, I guess. <laughs> I like both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do enjoy the root beer, and I don't know how lasting it is. I think I got a more lasting product, but uh, yeah, <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> that resonates with me. Oh, now, I'll mention that before I forget it. We The other thing that sets us apart is that we take small groups of people on trips and have events. Sometimes they're here on Maui. Sometimes we've done events in Russia, Israel twice, Italy Canada, you know, Vancouver, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., many times. We've had uh, an exhibit in the Senate Rotunda mm. one time with an artist, and uh, that's pretty impressive, but we we didn't sell anything, and I, I figured the senators couldn't figure out how to get the taxpayers to buy a piece of art oh for themselves. Oh, my gosh. Now, now we, were, we were exposed to all kinds of people walking in, and now it was, you know, it sounds good to have a... I mean, it's not easy to do. You got to have political connections, which we had for a while, and uh, you know that's a lot of things that we've done like that that our customers really, really enjoy. They love coming and drinking wine, having a good time, whether they're going out on just a wine tasting or whale watch or uh, you know whatever we do here on Maui or touring museums or whatever we do in the various places from you know Seattle to Moscow to Israel and Italy and all. Yeah. So we do that, and that's that's been really a huge part of our business. And it's uh, it started with a trip to Washington D.C., and, and then we also have what we would call Ocean Art Festival, where people would come over when the art, the underwater art, was so popular. We would host weekends for that also. So yeah, it's been and it's a lot of fun, a lot of work, but it is a lot of fun too, and some risk, obviously. <laughs> How do you keep? It's so personal. And, and your your presentation and your culture is so personable for uh, and still have that business acumen. How do you even balance that? Or is that just, just a part of who you are and who you want to be becoming? Yeah. Well, let's say that I got through and there were good times and there were bad times and good times are better. <laughs> and right now uh, I have people working for me who are do things better than I do them. And my... What I do now is I say, this is what I think. This is my opinion. You make the decision. And I've got really good people, that, uh, leaders that do that for me and really good salespeople and support people that are working for me. Do you want to talk about the loan? The next thing that we've got we think might be a really big thing is uh, a story of a lonely dog by one of our artists. And we're kind of holding that back until we're ready. There's a movie in the works and things like that. But it's a New Zealand artist named Ivan, Ivan Clark, and he's really going to do do something. And 
I think you like my shirt earlier on. That's one of our artists, Guy Buffet, but there are no more shirts oh, to be sold. <laughs> they're beautiful. It's a, pretty entertaining. But Guy has it's been huge for us uh, over the years. Yeah, yeah. let's talk about that. We'll, we'll go into a, um, a station re-identification. Is, this is The Modern Architect on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Jim Killett. Founder of Lahaina Galleries. For more information, you can uh, visit their gallery website at lahainagalleries.com. Again, that's lahainagalleries.com. We're going to do an acknowledgement for the lonely dog, and we're going to segue it for you. Share with us what, who the lonely and what the lonely dog is. Jim? Yeah, the artist Ivan Clark is a self-described uh, Kiwi bloke who happens to be brilliant, and I didn't figure it out for a while, but he, he's... <laughs> He's just got a brilliant mind, you know, the, the dyslexic and all of that, you know, and I, I and quit school when he was 15. He said uh, there in, in New Zealand, he said, uh, big Polynesians kept demanding my lunch. So I uh, decided to quit school, <laughs> done various things. But he would come to Maui and windsurf with his family. He'd leave his little dog in the in the kennel back in New Zealand and when he'd come back he started looking at his dog and he looked like he's lonely that he didn't make any friends with the other dogs or anything like that and he just has this mind that just drifts off into another world and create he created a whole new world of dogs and cats where they're really humans and the setting that he's created them is in a continent where the cats and the hounds are, are segregated because there was a war but in this one town right on the ocean, which is very similar to Lahaina, that's where the cats and the hounds live. They're on separate sides of the track. And don't think of them as cats and hounds. They are people. And he brings out all this, uh, the social ills, the, the, uh, the biases, everything, and the humor and, and all of that. The cats are the high society. They control everything. The hounds don't know they're being controlled so much. And but they're Bohemians that are drinking their Wilts, which is the beer made from milking whales in the Lahaina connection. And it's just uh, a terrific story. And Lonely Dog, uh, in a short way, eventually helps bring things together after going through a very, very tough childhood of being in, a, in an orphanage and coming out that he's got a musical talent. And it, so music's a big part of it. The art is just terrific. We're looking forward to that for one of the things to make us grow or make us better. Yeah, so that, that, that'll be really a lot of fun. That's wonderful. And you can, for uh, your audience today, you can find more information at LonelyDog.com. That's LonelyDog.com. How do you discover artists? Do they come to you? A little bit of both? Can you share with your audience? Little, yeah. A little bit of both. Uh, as I said, with Nelson, his brother came in. and that, First off, we do have a gallery in Newport Beach at Fashion mm-hmm. Island. But living here in Lahaina, you get people from all over the world. We've got so many different cultures. I love that about living here. And we have artists that want to live here. In, but when you get people from all over the world coming here, they have time on their hands. The husband and wife are to be are, together with time on their hands, feeling good, seeing things they don't see where they live. It, it's the formula that kind of we need. Uh, Newport Beach is different. That's a local business for the most part. But on the big island where we are and at Wailea here on Maui, 
we mostly sell to tourists and people who are buying new, new homes over here. But the tourists are our lifeblood. We have, I mean, I think 50,000 emails now with people that have frequented our stores and, and mostly purchased them, a lot that didn't purchase. But that got us through some very difficult times with, with the COVID part. We're uh, we're doing better now, and we. I was surprised that we did as well, and the federal government helped. You know, so right now we're in really really good shape. Landlords played ball with us to the, for the most part, and everything else. So, but you know, to be here in Hawaii and you're in the hotel business or you're in the restaurant business, it's extremely difficult. We, Hawaii got hit harder than anybody because we're dependent on tourism. But right now, real estate's selling like crazy. You know that because people are moving moving here to work remotely and don't want to be in whatever situation they were in. So that's good for my business. It wouldn't have been good if I still have an ice cream parlor that only half the people are here. <laughs> very, very true. <laughs> yeah. How do you keep yeah. in contact of other than um, you know your email list and if you have a newsletter? Also, how do you? Share all of your artists and their stories, which I think really lend to their work as well. Yeah, well, we do a monthly newsletter to those 50,000 people. Uh, we have a, a good, a nice website that's uh, been good, good for us. And we're always looking for ways uh, that for exposure. It really doesn't work. I mean, exposure is good no matter what, what if it's good. But, I mean, you, you get fooled by some things. For instance, uh, you have a conference of um, 2,000 heart surgeons. And, well, they all make a good living. And I have I've set up an exhibit in the middle of that. You'd think that, oh, that's really good. No, <laughs> the focus is not on art. The mood is not on there. So you sort of need good people, again, who have time, who are in the mood to appreciate what's in front of them and don't have their focus on something else. And another thing I forgot to say, that our growth was also fueled by artists who were doing well in Lahaina. And they said, well, we're going to have to put our art somewhere in California. And I said, wait a minute, that's where my customers are. <laughs> So we wound up we wound up opening a business in Newport Beach because we were, it was really strong marketing marketing of Robert Nelson and the underwater art and a lot of other artists and Dario Campanile and Frederick Hart who's the, won the National Medal of the Arts lots of artists so we we opened we started in Newport Beach doing shows and eventually in the what was then the Meridian Hotel I don't even know what it is now but then uh, we moved into Fashion Island Fashion mm -hmm. Island. And, We've been there over 30 years now, I guess. Yeah, it's a, definitely a prime location. Going back to the artists again, how close do you, uh, it's a rhetorical question, but how close are you with the artists when you either invite them and when they're in your gallery? Is it, is it almost like a family? Yeah, you know, it's people like to talk about, and the, the word hero is Ohana, Ohana yes. family. And people like to talk about that, but, you know, families have breakups too. Breakups too. And we've had some relationships now that have lasted since the, since the 70s, and we've had a lot come and go, and, and it's uh, usually been, been okay. Uh, but we've had, you know, 
I guess if people get desperate, they'll do whatever they have to do to survive. And, you know, you have some artists who will sell behind your back. And when things get desperate, that they might not do if I were writing a check. So that's some of the little things. And, and nobody has a completely ideal situation to deal with when you're in business. So those things happen. Those things happen. And we get through that. But for the most part, I read, uh, we want artists with integrity who are talented and are good in front of the public. And we, we always get some of that. We don't get all, everything we want, but uh, yeah. Jim, is there anything that we may not have touched on that you f- feel is really important that you'd like to share with your audience today? Well, listen, art is, um, you know, I, I guess if people want to say we're in commercial art, but, to me, our artists are very, very, very skilled, and they bring out the emotions in people, and that's great. But to give you an example, in the academic world is fine. The museum world is fine. <laughs> there are auctions. There are all kinds of ways to market art and, and to promote what, you, what your interest is. And uh, I like to say that there's room for the academic world. There's room for the commercial world. And they're just slightly major divisions in some cases, minor minor differences in what you're looking at. And it's all opinionated and everybody's entitled to their opinion. But as an example of where one can do damage to the other, I had a lady walking into our gallery at Newport Beach and she saw an artist's work and it was Impressionism. And it, it is fantastic, a man named Lao Chun. And she said, oh, my gosh, isn't that beautiful? Oh, my gosh. And then she said, oh, but I'm not supposed to like that kind of art. She was studying to be a docent at a nearby museum. So that's, <laughs> that's an example where, uh, no, we don't need that kind, kind of thing. And, and, you know, everybody's got their own opinion of what good art is, and that's, that's fine. But you, over the years, you can develop taste and learn what you like, and that's what matters to you and not what some museum says about somebody uh, not being good. And, you know, good enough so people are reaching their wallet and pay for it. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's um, Jim. It's been a real honor and pleasure having you on uh, your show in, in effect today. Thank you very much. I uh, enjoyed enjoyed it and aloha to everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at KZSU Stanford University Studios in Stanford, California, and on location. Today, the recording engineer is Eric Chakopoulos, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Lexley Neelan. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dior. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Thank you. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. 
Audler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals. Use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect.